Let's pray together. Father, as we come to your word, we pray, Holy Spirit of God, that you'll give us your wisdom, your truth, that we would have, as we've just sung, hope unweary. May we be those people who this week are ambassadors of hope to those around us. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we're thinking about Abraham's last journey. And uh, it got me thinking, I don't know if you recall, in the 1990s there was a TV sitcom called Waiting for God. And I don't know if you remember that. And it had this irascible couple who were always trying to be maverick. And uh, we had the managers of the care home trying to be very orderly, systematized, but you had these mavericks who were just trying to uh, change the game and make life fun uh, and break the rules. And as we think about age profiles, um, it'll be interesting to take one. I took one this morning, and we've got quite a different age profile here tonight. Uh, in New Testament times, the average life expectancy was 35 to 40 years of age, and that is true in parts of the developing world today, very sadly. So hands up if you are 40 and under. Ben, come on, put your hand up. <laughs> yes. Well done, Darren. There's two people under 40. Okay. You can put your hands down. This didn't change much until the year 1850. And then by the 1950s, the average age had reached 65. Put your hands up if you are 65 and under. Okay. Good, good. Right, and now the average age, I think it's about 81 for men and about 84 for women. So, hands up if you're uh, 84 and under. <laughs> okay. And uh, you'll be pleased to know that um, there is speculation now that a, a child born today could live to 150 years of age which is incredible, and some of us might think, wow, is that a good thing or not? But over the half the population of people born today in this generation, they will live to 100 years of age. Anyone over 100 here? Okay, I won't be cheeky. And um, I saw a retirement greeting card which said this, relax, enjoy yourself, be lazy, put your feet up, Take a nap, indulge yourself, you've earned it. Is that our view of later life, of just taking it easy? Or I spoke to a former colleague who retired. I've perfected the art of doing nothing. And uh, that's not the way the Bible sees retirement. In fact, the Bible doesn't have anything to say about retirement. This is bad news for some of you. Because the Bible has a lot to say about caring for our elderly and honouring our elders, which sadly our society seems to have thrown out with all sorts of other things about respect for people in society. The psalmist writes in Psalm 92 in verse 12, "'The righteous will flourish like a palm tree.'" They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, 
planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming, The Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. And so, beautiful picture in the psalmist of Psalm 92 saying, The godly person in older age is a graceful palm tree. Have you ever been called a palm tree before? Um, with a majestic cedar, and they will still bear fruit in old age. So there are three things I really want to share from this passage this evening. And the first is about being prepared. Be prepared. There's that saying, isn't there? Uh, being, was it? Uh, prepared, be, be prepared or otherwise be prepared to fail. Preparation is crucial. Well, I came across this true story, um, and I hope it never happens to you. A new business uh, was opening And one of the owner's friends wanted to send him flowers on this occasion of the new business venture. They arrived in the business site and the owner read the card and it said, rest in peace. The owner was angry and called the florist to complain. And after he had told the florist of the obvious mistake and how angry he was, the florist replied, sir, I'm really sorry for the mistake. But rather than getting angry, you should imagine this. Somewhere there is a funeral taking place today and they have flowers with a note saying, congratulations on your new location. (laughs) And that's actually really true for us, isn't it, as Christians, about our new location in Christ, which begins now in faith. And so we read in chapter 23 of Genesis the death of Sarah, Abraham's long-standing and faithful spouse. And we read about Abraham's mourning for his wife and also his battle of pride to purchase a burial plot. Remember they were in the country of the Hittites And uh, he wanted to buy a burial plot that belonged to the Republic of Abraham. And the Hittites loved this godly man. And they said, no, you have the land. But he insisted on buying the land. He wanted it for the generations, which the Hittites offered to him. But he insisted on buying it for 400 shekels, which he did. Being prepared means for Abraham taking care of his responsibilities for his children, children of his concubines and their children. We see it in verse 6 of verse 25 where the writer says, but while he was still living he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines and sent them away from his son Isaac to the land of the east. So Abraham had given thought of the future. Do you know the greatest complaints emerging within the death care industry is conflict within families. The power struggle that is going on is incredible where you'll have one family member at war with another all because perhaps the will or the preparation 
of the deceased has not taken place. And even the Law Commission is being urged to step in for this escalation that's going across this country. It's all about seizing control, wanting power, exerting influence without thought for their sibling, getting my way. And I want to encourage you, the greatest service you can do, any of us can do in this room, in this sanctuary, is to prepare our personal affairs, our financial affairs, so that our offspring or those responsible for us know our wishes. It's so important. You know that I'm one of six children, fourth in line to the throne. I'm so grateful that my own father has done all the planning. When you've got three sisters and I'm the senior executor of the will and there's a load of jewellery to be dispersed within these sisters of mine who are, who are delightful. Um, but it's still a responsibility and it's just the forethought that he's taken. Everything is listed and sorted. It's fantastic. It's the most loving thing to do. There is one clear thing that we will all die. Our society has lost the art of knowing how to talk about death. And we've seen some great men and women. It was interesting that when Princess Diana died, it was literally two weeks later, Mother Teresa died. And um, just how her life, this little Albanian lady who died in India, very quietly, very humbly, um, and just the contrast with the very tragic death of Princess Diana that touched our nation profoundly um, and how we can't we haven't learnt the art of talking about our end and when we think of great leaders like Nelson Mandela and his own demise or you think of um, uh, Pope uh, John Paul and his death as a very frail man but with great dignity I'll never forget meeting Bishop Leslie Newbegin who was a bishop of South India but was a United Reform Minister from Britain. Um, and I met him a couple of times. And he uh, became blind towards the end of his life. And um, students from Spurgeon's College and London School of Theology would read to him, read scripture, would read books to him. And on his deathbed, he was saying, it's all for joy, all for joy, that Wesley and him changed from glory into glory. We have a hope that is steadfast and certain. It is going to be an amazing place, heaven, an amazing experience. And words will never be able to capture what heaven's going to be like, this side of it. And so we need to think about that. I asked you a question a couple of weeks ago uh, in the morning service. What are you prepared to die for? You, as Christians, what are you prepared to die for? And we prayed earlier in the preparation prayer meeting for the persecuted church. And in the coming week, there will be people just like you and me who will be killed, who will be tortured for their faith around the world. And once we discover what we're prepared to die for, then we'll know what we want to really live for. It's really important. 
I was um, flicking through uh, Facebook and there was this um, article uh, that was contrasting um, English Premier League footballers and it had, you know that they're on these silly salaries, um, like £250,000 per week. And um, their cars, their jewellery, their homes. And there was this amazing story about this African, and I suspect, he didn't talk about his faith, but I suspect Christian footballer, who was really investing his wealth by starting uh, with children's education in his country of origin in Africa, and was investing in that and healthcare. That was visiting hospitals and hospices for children in the Merseyside area of this country. And it got me thinking about this is thinking about the investment of our lives. Where are we investing? And Psalm 92, verse 13 says, God has planted us, God wants to grow us, and He's given us talents and abilities for His kingdom. And a fruitful old age doesn't happen by chance, dare I say. Um, there's a sermon I must preach one day to myself about growing old gracefully or growing old begrudgingly. It depends how our attitude. But there was this great Christian physician, this doctor, Dr. Macmillan, wrote uh, in his book, the unlovely personality that develops in some senior citizens is not a sudden onset. It is rather the continuation of childhood temper tantrums, the elaboration of teenage assertiveness, the further development of middle-aged grumpiness that has now fully developed into the thorny, sour and crabbed frustrations of old age. And that's a challenge for us, isn't it, about how are we going to grow old gracefully, full of grace and truth, as it says in John 1 about our Lord. And however young or old you are, we need to prepare our hearts, we need to form our disciplines about how we grow old. And if we're a parent or a grandparent, we have a role to play in forming our children for later life. Proverbs chapter 22 verse 6 says, Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not turn from it. If you think about the writer uh, Timothy in the New Testament, think about his spiritual formation. It's something that we nonconformists are very weak on when we look at other Orthodox or Catholic or even some Anglican, formation. We lack a structure sometimes of formation. Timothy had a godly grandmother called Lois and a godly mother called Eunice who invested so much into them. We cannot predict how ageing will affect us. A dear friend of mine I learnt this week, a retired Methodist minister, um, suffering with um, Parkinson's, um, was coming back up White Ladies Road in Bristol and had a stroke and is now partially paralysed and speechless. We cannot predict how life will affect us. Some of us will stay fit. I can think of a lady called June Walker who's 85 years of age 
and she's a dinner lady at the local primary school. I can think back to Ebervale Baptist Church in South Wales and remembering one Sunday evening, just like this service, a dozen teenagers walked into the church off the street and they sat, in fact, in the front row of this church. And uh, they had a visiting, they didn't have a minister, visiting ministers. And it was a communion service. And both the agility of that minister to reshape the service so that they could understand what was going on. And then these beautiful people that sat with the young people and they formed a youth group because they came the following week and the following week. And guess who was their youth leader? 85-year-old Beryl. And I had the joy of meeting her. And they loved her and these young people came to faith. There is no retirement in the kingdom of God, in the church. Someone asked John Wesley, Mr. Wesley, if you knew that you would die at 12 o'clock tomorrow night, how would you spend the intervening time? Mr. Wesley said, I would spend it just as I intend to spend it. I would preach tonight at Gloucester and again tomorrow evening. Then I would go to my friend's house after the service as he expects me. I would converse and pray with the family, retire to my room about 10 o'clock, commend my life into the hands of my heavenly Father, lie down to sleep and wake up in glory. Fabulous. Be prepared. Secondly, much shorter, be fruitful. Be fruitful. In verse 7, we read about that fruitfulness. Altogether, Abraham lived 175 years. Wow. And the psalmist says they will still bear fruit in old age. A palm tree provides food and drink and shade and medicine. It varnishes, it dies. You can use a palm tree for rope making, basketry, ornamentation. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that you've got to love God and your neighbour work three score years, retire and do nothing. It says you are involved in the great commission of reaching out for Jesus until you reach the face-to-face presence of Jesus. If you look at Moses, this amazing man who took the children of Israel to the River Jordan, and Aaron, or Joshua, and Caleb, or Daniel, or Zechariah, or you think of Simeon and Anna faithfully praying for the Messiah. Or you think of elders. Elders were elders then. <laughs> they were appointed in the early church in Titus 1.5. The older women were urged to teach what is good in Titus 2.3. The pastor at Saddleback Church, Rick Warren, says the Bible says that as long as your heart is beating, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. To grow personally, to get to know God, to serve others, to make the world a better place. In retirement, what we have to ask is, what is going to be the centre of my life? Because if you don't have a solid centre, it will fall apart. And never forget, never forget the first funeral service I took when I was at Chelmsford. It was actually a gentleman, um, and his wife had died and lived in Whitham. 
And I'll never forget the John, it was John uh, 15, uh, 5, and he talked about the abiding presence of Christ in his life and for his wife. It was beautiful. And that in his great sadness, he had that sure hope that his wife was in the abiding presence of Christ. And so we need to be in the business of sowing and reaping, of planting trees, of mending fences. Even uh, we need to store up treasure in heaven. Abraham was diligent. He ensured the provision of the generations. He specifically made preparation for Ishmael. And that's so important because Ishmael was the son who was born by default. And so we need to think, if we're younger, what investment of love, and if we're older, what investment of love will we put into God's world? What investment of love is God calling us to renew in this church, in this community? When I was at IJM, we used to have a theme every year of one of the fruits of the Spirit. And it was life-changing for many of us because we were facing some of the darkest things you would see where you saw children who were violated by predators across the world. And part of the fruit of the Spirit was joy. And you might ask, well, Terry, how can you have joy when you see the brutality of such people against God's little ones? But you can see joy. You can see the joy of freedom when it's brought to these children. You'll be surprised about the power of God's healing on these children. I witnessed it uh, and was um, faith-filled because of it, of these children who had the capacity to step beyond what had happened to them in such circumstances. So maybe we need to think about, in our own personal devotion, about what fruit of the Spirit we need to invest in. Or perhaps, well, we certainly need goodness, don't we, and kindness in our society. Or what about the power of forgiveness, that we are a forgiving community here in this church, forgiving those around us who have failed us, Sometimes Christians can be the harshest and sometimes most unforgiving. Maybe we need to forgive ourselves that we've failed. And the power of forgiveness is truly remarkable. I remember that film that Angelina Jolie uh, directed called, I think it was called Strong, and it was the life of the Italian-American Olympian runner. And... uh, Louis Zamperini, and he was uh, an American who went, uh, flew on an attack mission and was shot down and became a prisoner of war uh, in Japan. And he was tortured. And this man uh, came to deep faith, Louis did, and uh, it transformed his life. He, met, he came to faith through Billy Graham and he started Campus Crusade. But before he did that, he went back to Japan and he met the um, guards and prison officers and, and forgave them and blessed them. And it was transformative. The power of forgiveness is truly remarkable of turning an enemy into a friend. 
So we need to be prepared, we need to be fruitful, and finally we need to be hopeful. Be hopeful. God does not guarantee to any of us three score years and ten. It is not for us to know our fate or our end always. What we learn from Scripture and what we learn from Abraham is that our days are in his hands and our days are numbered in his book of life. And that needs to be good enough for us, that we hold his hand and our fate is with him. That does not mean that Christians are exonerated from emotional and mental pain because of early death. Christians should be at liberty to weep and lament. And God is big enough to take our questions and our anger. And I would encourage you, if you haven't read it, Billy Graham wrote a book called Nearing Home towards the end of his life. He never expected to live into his 90s. And he witnessed seeing his wife Ruth um, suffer great pains towards the end of her life physically in pain but she was an amazing woman of courage and she would take scripture and they would read it together and she would um, drink it in to her spirit and she would these read these words to her husband and the children The words from Romans 8, verse 38. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that fortified her. And it fortified Billy, her husband. And we need to drink that scripture in. And the struggles of older age for many, struggles he writes about getting out of a chair, he couldn't get out of a chair unaided. And learning to be dependent on others, that's hard, isn't it? Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1, verse 3 to 9, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It will neither perish, spoil, or fade. This is the inheritance we have in Christ. This is what won me to faith as a 17-year-old, that God claims us and transforms us. Do you know, in many ways, whether we live 100 years or even 150 years, that is just a speck of time across the cosmos. And we're going to spend a long time in eternity. So time to get to know God now. For Abraham, he blessed Isaac and Ishmael. And because of that, both brothers from a separate mother buried him and honoured him. Ishmael had a future. Isaac had the blessing. Professor Jim Packer, a Christian professor, had recently celebrated his 90th birthday. And he also wrote a book called Finishing Our Course with Joy, Aging with Hope. And he urges us to run the final lap of our race with unflagging zeal. The best is yet to come. 
the Lord Jesus Christ gives us hope of an unimaginable glorious future. Yes, we don't know how to describe it or imagine it always, but we can trust for it because of Jesus. That there will be an effectual elimination of evil. That's good news. That there'll be an endless extrapolation of good. There'll be an ecstatic extension of fellowship with Christ and his people and an internal enjoyment of God's glory and beauty in ways that we cannot present or begin to conceive. We are not going to be sitting on a cloud, I'm afraid. It's going to be all action-packed. And Jesus talks about a banquet that you've never seen before. And so Professor Jim Packer points us back to Scripture, to Hebrews. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Your race will be different to mine. Your race might be longer than mine, might be shorter than mine, but you still need to run your race. And we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And then whatever the changing scenes of our lives, we will be able to testify at the end, the Lord is my rock and my salvation, the rock upon which we stand. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray for those in our midst, part of our fellowship, perhaps those on the shut-ins list, for those who are awake in the dark hours of the night, who feel alone, feel fearful, feel lost, feel scared. And Lord Jesus, we pray that your light shine upon them. You speak your words of comfort and consolation to them. We thank you that we are family in Christ. Thank you, Lord, that we can look actually sometimes to one another. And when our faith is vulnerable and shaking, we can hang on to the coattails of others who are trusting you, Lord. Thank you that you're with us, that you never forsake us because your abiding presence is real. Whether we feel it or not, whether we confess it or not, you are there because you are God. And Lord, in this week when we remember Halloween, we pray, light of the world, that you pierce the darkness. And that you pierce any darkness within us. That we claim to be more than conquerors because of you, Jesus. Help us to be conquerors. Help us to be like John the Baptist who points the way to the risen Saviour. Lord, may we be those ambassadors who follow you and love you more dearly and nearly. For the glory of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, world without end. Amen.